Hello, everybody, and welcome to the March episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And today in the studio with us is the fantastic Kate Olson. Welcome, Kate. Hi, guys. And Kate is a composer, educator, woodwinds player. You play like flute, clarinet, and every saxophone, right? That is correct. I also play bass, clarinet, and there is oh, maybe right. a piccolo gig in my future. All right. I've been putting it off, but it might happen anytime now. That's wow. Awesome. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot bass clarinet in the list because uh, probably my favorite thing that I saw you play was Indecent at the, uh, I'm going to screw up the name of the playhouse. Seattle Repertory Seattle Theater. Repertory, thank you. Where, uh, yeah, Kate played, uh, I guess, acted as a musician, but was also the musician. Whoa. Yeah, I was I was hired to be a musician who acts on stage. So I was hired to play a musician while also being a musician. And I had no speaking lines, but I did have choreography and blocking. And whoa, yeah, there were times where I sat my instruments down and um, acted with my eyes and my body uh -huh. <laughs> and my face and sick costumes, too. It was a great show. I'm sad uh, I missed it. Yeah. So uh, we're going to move on a little past that and talk about, uh, let's see, you play every saxophone, but I think from your website and just from talking to you in the past, I know that soprano saxophone is like your main deal. That's your, your axe. Yeah, that is correct. Cool. So let's uh, dig into that. Why, what brought you to the soprano saxophone? So I have an undergraduate degree that is a BA in music from the University of Wyoming. And during that degree, I was mostly studying classical saxophone. Oh, okay. And I had the opportunity. So I, I was primarily an alto player at that point, And I had the opportunity to do a piece called Elegy, okay. which is a soprano saxophone solo um, with a duo with solo uh, with soprano and piano mm -hmm. and um my mom really loved the sound of it and i really enjoyed playing the instrument and for christmas i think that year my parents bought me a professional model yamaha soprano saxophone and the rest is history as they say um it felt like the instrument that even though it took a lot of time and dedication to get it to play in tune and to get a tone quality that I was happy with. It was the instrument that seemed to most naturally be my voice. So. Way cool. That is a great story. I feel like we should be asking that question of more guests to find out how people got to the instrument. I think so. Yeah. We forget to ask that sometimes and man, some that's amazing stories. Story. Yeah. So you just uh, put out an album, correct? That is correct. And one of the reasons we are here is to talk about that album. Or Fair. at least a couple of the songs on it. <laughs> um, it was a live album, and we'll talk more about that later, but uh, one of the songs we are going to focus on is called All Pear-Shaped, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what's why is it called All Pear-Shaped? <clears throat> what's that all about? So, I don't have a composition practice. A lot of people that consider themselves composers say that the most effective way to do that is to get up every morning and write something to have some kind of daily practice uh, as a composer. But I don't do that, or at least I haven't been able to do that up to this point. But I do try to book time for myself and kind of sequester myself so that I am able to mm. devote all of my time 
over a long weekend or something to composing. And a few years ago, I was able to do this in a yoga studio in Portland, Oregon. I was able to Airbnb the place. And I wrote this song inspired by the sound of pears falling off of the pear tree onto the sloped roof that grew, um, the pear tree grew over the top of this yoga studio. So about three, four in the morning, it was super hot in Portland. It was the middle of the summertime. These pears, these overripe pears would thunk and kind of like squelch <laughs> onto the roof and then because pears are pear shaped they don't just like it wouldn't it wouldn't just be like thunk roll plop onto the floor it was right. like thunk budunk 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 onto the ground and um this melody just most most of my songs are inspiration based like i said i don't have much of a practice so this melody kind of came to me and that was the thing that was most present in my mind at that point so that's <laughs> that's how the tune uh got its name all pear shapes <laughs> so awesome that is amazing okay i don't what think we image. can i don't think we can do anything else but listen to the tune now after hearing a story like that so yeah, i agree we're gonna give it a spin here we go Thank you. 
I don't know about you guys, but I definitely heard some uh, splashing, splotching, exploding pears on the roof. Josh, did you hear that too? Yeah, I totally heard the pears. That's pretty cool, having that connection to uh, such a strong visual. Um, speaking about the music itself, uh, I noticed it was kind of in a, I guess what you could call a standard song format, right? Mm-hmm. So for those non-musicians, that kind of means there's a one of the most standard song forms is you have a melody that has a bridge in the middle of it, maybe with uh, one of the sections repeated before the bridge, um, and it may or may not happen again after that bridge. Um, and it seems like this song is kind of structured around that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's spot on. Um, it was very much inspired by um, sonically by the pairs, but also <clears throat> by Thelonious Monk's music. And so it takes that AABA 32 bar song form and um, even kind of calls back to rhythm changes forms where the bridge is improvised every time. There's no mm. specific melody over the bridge section. Very cool. I definitely hear the monk influence. That's cool. It's it's so nice to hear you guys say that you can hear the things that I can hear in my music. That It's great validation for me. That's rad. Yeah, I remember... I... Man, I don't. I think probably the first time I heard this tune was on a YouTube video that you put out um, before the Vito CD release show, which happened last month. Is that right? Or was it January? January 10th. January 10th. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so that's when I heard it. And all the way back then, I was like, man, I'm, this is like a monk vibe. And that's, that's cool. Did you set out to. I, I know you heard the pairs, then you wrote the song, but did you set out intentionally to go down this monk influence path or i think a lot of my music is really heavily influenced by monk sounds not so specifically that i'm like copying chords from him or um specific forms other than standard jazz forms but i am really in love with all of the steve lacy thelonious monk recordings being a soprano saxophonist and so i've listened to that music a lot so when i play these songs when i write these songs that's the vibe that i'm going for for sure and that's that's in a lot of my music that's not specific to that one song that's cool yeah i think it's inescapable (laughs) for any of us who are writing music to not write music that reflects what we're listening to all the time yep well i want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk about your band uh so i i was uh reading on your website and I kind of figured this out just because I see you, you know, posting about performances and such all the time. Um, and you play with a lot of different people. So, uh, first of all, who who is playing on this this album? So this record is Brad Gibson on drums, Alex Gilbert on piano, and Chris Seimer on bass. Cool. And so the Kate Olsen Ensemble is that, and it, I mean it says that the band rotates consistently um i guess my question is two-part um one is there like a normal group of people that plays is this the normal group of people that plays and then the second question is why why do you like to have it be rotating versus a, a set cast of people i guess yeah those are great questions um i would say that the band has evolved into being those three guys Alex and Brad and Chris 
Um, they are kind of the first three guys that I usually call when I book a KO ensemble gig, but, um, they are in demand. They're busy mm -hmm. guys. And <laughs> so they're not always available. And my, the reason that I formed this ensemble, I was thinking about this on the way over here. The reason that I formed this ensemble was to find a way to get my music out to more listeners and essentially to be able to book myself more gigs. And so if that's really my goal, um, to kind of mainstream my original compositions for jazz audiences, then I need to be playing as much as I possibly can. And it can't rely on when three guys are available um, or gals or whatever are available. It's a valid point. <clears throat> so it's not necessarily a preference. It's more... Um, it's more that this is what has happened it's kind because of the demands of the industry. I yeah, suppose. exactly. Yeah. I think that the Seattle jazz scene is really diverse and has a lot of wonderful participants. Um, and on any given night, all of them are working. It seems like, um, so as much as we complain about not having enough gigs or not having enough venues, um, it really feels like the scene is thriving. So for me to be able to call on, any number of maybe 20 or 30 different musicians and ask them to play my music is really important to me. Absolutely. Uh, last little question here. It's not totally related to the album, but is the Kate Olson electric ensemble, the same people? It is not generally the same people. Um, I, although there's some crossover, I used to play with Tim Kennedy a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had this Friday night gig at Vito's and, and, uh, Tim, had a kid and uh friday That's night right. was his ladies night <laughs> out um uh, to perform uh at the sea monster and so he wasn't able to do my friday night vetoes gigs anymore so that kind of shifted um but tim is one of the people that i like to call to play in my electric band um dean schmidt Tarek abuzade um jason gessel evan flory barnes on electric bass uh, when Very I can cool. get them. So yeah, a lot, a lot of different folks in that band too, but a slightly different collection of people. Awesome. Is it a whole different set of tunes that you play when it's uh, the electric band? Again, there's a little bit of crossover, but I have mm -hmm. some tunes that I just play with the electric band um, cool. and some tunes that I wouldn't bring into the electric band because they feel too straight ahead jazzy. I have a couple jazz waltzes that I'm like, there's no reason to play this electric. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, shifting gears a little, uh, this is the KO Ensemble Live at the Royal Room record. Correct. Which means it was recorded live at the Royal Room. You and got it. <laughs> <laughs> why did you make the decision to do a live record as opposed to a studio session? So, I broke my wrist last year. I broke my wrist at the end of January and we didn't really find out that my wrist was broken until sometime in March. No and way. And then it was about six weeks. I had so many things booked that I had been contractually obligated to do and was committed to doing that I wasn't able to have surgery until the end of April. Uh. So I had planned to do a studio recording last year. I had time booked with Floyd. I was going to go into Litho. I had asked those three guys that are on this recording if they would uh -huh. be interested in recording with me. And we'd gotten some dates that worked for everyone. And then I broke my wrist. Oh, and man. so I was off of playing for 
I was limited playing for about two and a half months and then completely off for an additional two months. And so at that point, I was no longer interested in going into the studio. I was like, now is not the time to do this. Um, but I had this recording. I had the funny thing is that I had just meant to have this recording to be with those YouTube videos that mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier and to use that as promo for what would eventually be the studio recording. But I got so tired of kind of waiting around and thinking about like, well, when am I actually going to be ready to do this? And I had these recordings and I was like, you know, I can put this record out now. I can get this music out now. I can always go back into the studio at some point and record it and do it exactly the way I want to do it. Or I can make an electric band record. I can do, you know, it's <laughs> like I have a lot of different options. I don't have to, it, this music is not new music. I've been playing this music in the Seattle jazz scene for years and years and years. And so for me, it was about putting something out there. I mean, I just turned 37 and this is the first album that I've released under my own name. Uh, so I'm kind of feeling like it's about darn time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, kudos on putting out a great record. Uh, live recordings to me are, having never done one myself, they're really scary to me because there's no do-overs yet. Like one, maybe two shots. I know Max, you did one mm -hmm. uh, like a year or two ago or something like that. Yep. And am I right? It's scarier because you only get two shots? No, one I, shot? I, I like it better, actually. Why do you like it better? Because it's, you. in the studio, you have the opportunity, well, usually you have the opportunity to go back and re-record things potentially unlimited numbers of times and and if you're in, on stage first of all you get the the vibe from the audience you know kind of feeding with the music but you also uh you play what you play and that's what it is <laughs> and, and for the... me i think a part of the secret was that i wasn't really planning on releasing it oh. i knew it was gonna you know i was more interested in what i looked like quite frankly because i was like it's gonna be youtube videos i need to make sure i'm not like picking my nose in the middle of a song or something do you usually do that when you're not on a youtube video <laughs> I, you have to come to a show and find out <laughs> Cool. So I want to hear more about uh, this like month and a half of reduced playing and two months of not being able to play as uh, an instrumentalist, too. That's kind of a recurring nightmare or something that's really, really terrifying to have to take off that much time. And I'm sure or really uh, any gig economy person for actually, sure. You know? um, what? Yeah, what what was that like? Were you able to work on music that didn't require the use of your wrist uh, to fill that time? Yeah, so I I bought myself some presents. I got a rolly block and a couple other things. So I, nice. I got into some. I'm I've always been interested in music production, electronic music, and specifically like ambient music. And sure. so I started messing around with that. I did have a gig with my vocal trio called the Femme Fatales, and I normally play saxophone in that band as well, but I played melodica instead. Nice. Nice. And um, so I was still able to sing, of course, so I mm -hmm. sang and I took solos on melodica and it worked out really well because it gave it kind of a French cafe vibe um, and we were doing a private party, so it was fine. Um, and then I picked up Tin Whistle, um, which it turns out, the, the biggest issue was 
um, I lost use of my left thumb for all of that time okay. um, because of how my hand was in the cast. Um, sure. I don't really need to be able to bend my wrist to play the saxophone, but without being able to use that thumb, I lost use of the octave key. And right. um, so, and I just, because of where the cast was, I couldn't actually hold the saxophone correctly. So um, you don't need your thumb for the tin whistle. <laughs> Add that um, to the list of uh, instruments you play. <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, when I found out that I was, uh, that I won my audition for Indecent, that was actually one of the instruments that I had to audition on was tin whistle. There's one song no <laughs> in the play. Um, that sounds awfully serendipitous. Yeah. So there's one song in the play where I play tin whistle. And um, so I was planning on picking up the instrument anyway. And then um, because I had been preparing for this audition, the audition took place while my wrist was broken. Mm. Um, and then, but rehearsals and the eventual por- performance didn't start until the fall and I was all healed up and everything was Did fine. you have to audition on uh, clarinet and bass clarinet on a broken wrist then? Correct. Ooh. Yeah. I walked in with a with a brace on my wrist and just told them the whole story. I was like, I just found out my wrist was broken. Um, so <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, but here I am and I'm going to play this audition for you. Nice. And uh, I'm going to say that it had to work in my favor because I got the spot. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was kind of a harrowing experience. But then just to finish up on this question, um, Practicing Tin Whistle was really serendipitous because when I was completely off from playing, I um, took a month and went with some friends and walked the Thames Path, which is um, a path that follows the River Thames Mm -hmm. um, in England all the way from the Cotswolds the whole way into the Thames Barrier in London. And um, it's over 180 miles. And... So I took a month and went with a bunch of friends and um, walked this path and started off that vacation with a week in Dublin where I was able to hear some really amazing tin whistle playing. And um, we we treated it kind of like a Lord of the Rings adventure because we're all a bunch of nerds. <laughs> and so I legit played the Lord of the Rings theme on tin whistle with my hand in a cast as we were walking across the English countryside. So... Um, it, it all worked out, uh, but it was a really trying time for me. Um, I was I was very depressed. I was very concerned that I wouldn't regain full use of my hand. Mm. Um, and but then we got back from England, and I got my cast off the next day, and I was playing in Wayne's band at the Royal Room like the day after that, and everything nice. was fine. So it it worked out, um, but it was really scary. Congrats on getting through that. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. Do you, do you have any advice uh, for, I mean, having been through that, do you have any advice for other musicians? Um, maybe, I don't know, who maybe have not had that experience um, just at all? <laughs> I think the thing that people say about, oh, the time off will be good for you, you know, mm-hmm. like you'll come back to it really fresh and you'll, um, I think it's true, but I think for that to happen you have to have that really deep feeling of like fear and loss that you might not be able to do the thing that you love anymore. And how are you going to create your identity after that? And how, you know, so Mm -hmm. especially right after I came back, but I hope continuously into my practice and performance in the future that I never take 
any opportunity to play for granted. There mm-hmm. are a lot of gigs that we do as jazz musicians that are kind of background music gigs where we just feel like we're practicing on stage. But every opportunity to play is an opportunity to make art and to make music and to make people feel things. And at the bottom of it, I think that's why I do it. Like I feel driven to make art. I want to make people feel things with my music. And so to get that sense back when I'm when I'm like always hustling and feeling busy and feeling like I need to be professional and I need to do this thing and I need to do that thing and my music needs to sound a certain way or people aren't going to like it or whatever. It's like it helped me get back in touch with that. So remembering to be a human being and taking time off to enrich yourself in other ways for every musician, I think, is really important. Awesome. I have one really small last question and uh, forgive my ignorance, but what's the difference between a tin whistle and a penny whistle? They're the same. Oh, okay. yeah. It's just, two... I never, I never knew that. No, that's totally <laughs> fine. It's just, yeah, it's um, two names for the same thing. Um, they're generally made out of, you know, I think they're originally made out of tin and that's why. Very cool. We call them tin whistles. But... And it's like a six hole diatonic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, most commonly in the key of D. Okay. So, uh, that's wonderful that you were able to take time and, uh, take a whole month off in England, but still get to play something. Uh, but I want to ask, uh, how, once you got back and were playing and gigging and practicing and all that again, was there some ramp up time and, uh, building your chops and, and, um, hand strength back up, uh, coming off of that injury? I definitely felt rusty, but I think more of it was in my head than anything else, quite okay. frankly. Like the the saxophone specifically, but I think most woodwind instruments are played in a way that you don't, if you're doing it correctly, you shouldn't really be fatiguing to the point where you're not able to play in, in, in differently from trumpet, for example. Sure. Like, trumpet if you haven't played in two months and you try to start playing again you might not last very long mm-hmm. um and i think there was a lot of just feeling like i couldn't do what i wanted to do mm-hmm. you know like my fingers wouldn't move as fast because i was out of practice like the the access to the muscle memory was a little rusty right but um but physically i came back really quickly um, I still have a little bit of pain in my thumb, but it's mostly when I play berry sax. It's when I have like big instruments that I need to do a lot of squeezing on. Sure. Um, but it's, but I've been doing really well. Very cool. So how did this impact your music career? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I, you know, out? I will tell you that I did get some positive press. Like Abe Beeson um, came and did an interview with me um, mm. talking about some of the things that we're talking about today, kind of like how do you deal with an injury as a professional? Um, what do you do to stay sane? How do you get back into it? Um, what can you do to make money in the meantime? Like I never stopped teaching. Um, so it made me value and rely on my teaching income and just teaching as a skill set a lot more. Um, it made me really value, like I said, it made me really value being able to perform. Um, I did a, a solo show as well, 
um, using synths and, and, uh, samples and stuff like that. Um, which is, which is something that I do, but I normally play saxophone as a part of my solo repertoire as well. So, um, it was, you know, it was kind of like, okay, this is, this is a way for me to be creative, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't, this isn't the end of the world. This is the universe trying to get me to be a little more creative. And, um, so I don't, I don't really know how it affected my career, um, I do know that there are some gigs that I'm not getting called for anymore because I was unavailable for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, but that's, I mean, that happens to anyone. Like if anybody that plays in my band is unavailable three or four times in a row, like I usually switch to someone else and I'll come back around to them. But it's just, I mean, it's, you know, you can't take it personally, I guess. Right. Definitely. Cool. Well, we've done a lot of talking and let's do some listening. Let's do some listening. Cool. So the last track on your record is called Way Out, and that's way like weight, not W-A-Y. Correct. Cool. So I have questions about why it's called that, uh, but let's listen to it first, and who knows? Maybe we'll figure it out.
That was a really fun tune. Uh, I'm getting some vibes off of it, but I would love to hear the story behind why it's called Way Out and what your thoughts were behind writing this piece. So I think when I wrote this one, it was it was a song that was inspiration based, but there wasn't anything in particular that inspired it. It was just like kind of a melody that came to me out of the blue. And then I had to figure out how to write it down and how to make it make sense. There are a couple five, four bars. There's a three, four bar. It kind of wiggles around a little bit. Um, And so uh, I was thinking about how it was kind of an out melody in the, you know, in the sense of Mm. like, Oh, it's a little, you know, it's it's not a straight ahead blues. I was like, oh, I wrote a blues. And I'm like, this doesn't really sound like a blues. Um, and so I was thinking about this idea of like way out. And I was like thinking about outer space. And I think I was reading the news or reading some little blurb online somewhere that was talking about how you can't be an astronaut if you weigh too much or if you're too short or if you're too tall. Um, There are these very specific requirements because it's, you know, like rocket fuel is incredibly expensive and dangerous and they have to build everything to very fine specifications and you have to fit in the capsule, right? You have to fit in there or um, it's not going to work. And so I was thinking about what a bummer it would be to be a little kid who was like dreaming of being an astronaut when they grow up and being too big or too small and not being able to do that. So that's what that's what the title came from and it's kind of a double entendre with way out w-a-y and way out like you can actually way out of being able to be an astronaut Um, like be in a weight class that doesn't allow you to do that so that's what this and and it's a blues because that's really sad (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad uh, i'm glad we're talking about this because i think the youtube video was titled with w-a-y and i think the song on the record was titled with w-e-i-g-h yeah i think um i don't remember exactly how that happened and i just let it happen yeah i like it it's cool (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember if that was my fault or if the um if the videographer did that and i just i was like oh it's great it's fine yeah the people who are super hip to this podcast will know the real uh spelling exactly title sounds the same no matter how you spell it so i right. think it's okay yeah i that's how i teach my students about um and harmonics I'm like, <laughs> you know it's like way and way the ah. note sounds the same but it has two different spellings cool mm. okay well uh so can you tell us what your uh album promo process looks like like how did you how have you been working on getting more people to listen to us besides i guess talking to us today and us talking about the record uh so i did quite a bit of promo leading up to the cd release party which was at Mm -hmm. vito's so i have a regular gig at vito's i'm there every other month on the second friday and i have one coming up uh next week i guess the 13th of march and I used the videos that I thought were going to be the end of these recordings Uh to promo. um, So I released one new video. I made one new video public on YouTube every day leading up to the um, to the record release at Vito's. I haven't really done anything else other than letting people know Um, I had booked a gig at the 
um, Jazz Center of Bellingham is what it's called now. Mm -hmm. WJ oh, Mac yeah. used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so I used that kind of as a Bellingham release for the CD and cool. was able to sell a bunch of copies up there. And um, Earshot requested a copy to review, so I'm hoping nice. that they will. They said it was going to be in the March issue, but I think they lied because I don't think it's in there. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe they will review it, um, which would be lovely. I haven't really pushed it. Um, I haven't pushed getting reviews otherwise, um, and I haven't put it up on streaming. I'm. I'm bashful about this record. I, I like the compositions. I like the performances. I wish I had had more control and really had the forethought to think, oh, I might release this as a live album someday. Mm. And um, so I'm not I'm not pushing it in the same way I would if I had dumped a bunch of money into it. Sure. Um, but I do want people to listen to it. It's up on Bandcamp and it's available for streaming. So you don't have to pay anything to listen to the songs. Mm -hmm. All of the videos are available on uh, YouTube so you can see the performance that this recording came from and you can see all of us playing and I think that's re a really engaging way to hear the record and that's all available for free and I'm happy for people to just go listen to it quite frankly I put so little overhead into the creation of this album I did all of the album artwork myself wow. um, so there are no graphic design fees or anything like that um, and it has just about paid for itself with the CDs that I've been able to sell so far. Um, so I'm, Congrats. I'm really, yeah, thank you. I'm <laughs> really you. proud of that. It's, I mean, I know that that's not that common, but, um, I was really lucky in that, you know, recording at the Royal room, especially the way I did it, where it was kind of after the fact and it was very like, like it's very inexpensive. And so it, it really set me up to be able to do it without a huge financial investment up front. Um, so then the, the other thing that I'm doing is just making sure that people know that I have a record out and um, like I was able to randomly sell like five copies at the triple door lounge the other day and I was like I, I wasn't expecting that but people want to have something they can take home to remember a musical experience by mm, definitely. and so I've been I've been doing all of these free gigs you know gigs where you can just walk in and get get a drink at the bar and listen to the music um, for years and years and years in Seattle. And now I finally have something that people can take home with them. And so I think that that's, it's a very small step in the right direction for me. Very cool. That's awesome. Cool. So, uh, we talked a bunch about this amazing record, uh, but I want to hear what else you're working on. Are there other projects that you're working on coming up that we should be aware of, or maybe that you'll hint at so that we know what to look for in the future? Yeah, I got to think about that for a second. Um, I play with a lot of different organizations. I'm I'm a quintessential freelancer in addition to having my own projects. I am working quite a bit with the Seattle Men's and Women's Choruses. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think that they are a wonderful organization, um, a great community, and um, really doing very timely performances. The Women's Chorus just did a show called Revolution 2020 that was about oh, voting I saw rights. Oh, about that, yeah. Yeah, Whoa. Um, which is really cool. It's about kind of the history of voting rights and how important it is to vote. Um, and the Men's Chorus, this is my potential piccolo gig. I probably shouldn't talk too much <laughs> about playing piccolo because I might decide not to do it if it sounds <laughs> really bad. Um, 
uh, I will be playing with them regardless. I might do it on flute instead of on piccolo. Uh, they're doing a show that is about the stories of, I think it's kind of like international LGBTQ people and kind of like fighting for their identity and, um, and basically stories of love, you know? And I think in times like this where we're kind of afraid of everything and angry about everything, it's really important to um to keep telling those stories and letting love win out and so that's something that's coming up that i'm doing um and i will be performing with and band leading for verlaine and mccann's through the looking glass the burlesque alice in wonderland cool. and i composed a fair chunk of the music wow. um, where is this being oh, nice. performed at? that's the triple door triple main door? stage okay. i've heard that's, that's a really cool production yeah it's a very cool show i work with them in um they do the burlesque nutcracker in december um i have the same position there i'm the band leader and i um composed part of the music and I play in the ensemble as well. So, um, yeah. So the burlesque Alice in Wonderland is coming up at the triple door main stage at the end of April. As far as my own projects are concerned, um, I don't have anything really solid yet. I am writing some music for, um, for dancers. I've been involved with, uh, catapult dance um which is directed by um a woman named michelle she teaches at uh cornish cool and um i'm working with one of the dancers from that program and she's creating a new work and so we're we're in development for that so i'm trying to write some music for that but i'm not i don't remember exactly when that's coming out and everything else is just kind of as it comes down the line, I got that gig coming up at Vito's. Um, I am playing happy hour in the Musiquarium at um, five o'clock on or five thirty on the eleventh of March, cool. and then later in the month, I think on the twenty third of March, something like that. So, um, and West Seattle Soul, my favorite favorite thirteen piece funk band, nice. um, is playing at the Parliament Tavern. Um, we do every first Thursday down at the Parliament Tavern, and I play Barry Sax in that band. Cool. So, yeah. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a whole list of dates for people to come check out. Uh, Can people find this playing? on your website? Yeah, I need uh-huh. to update March. But yes, there are. Um, <laughs> I, I do try to keep a list of uh, gigs, uh, public performances on my website. There's a shows tab. Cool. So and that's check that out. KatePlaysax.com, is that right? You got it. KatePlaysax.com. Cool. Man, congrats on the domain name. It's easy to remember. That's Thank rad. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's, it's my true. email. It's my domain. It's all my stuff. Nice. Well, I think that's getting close to what we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us today yeah. and sharing your wonderful music and telling us all the st- wonderful stories behind it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. And thank you, listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, you can look us up on Facebook. Uh, just look up Jazz Talk Seattle. And you can listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your regular podcasts. Hope to see you again next month.